Hello and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, hello everybody and welcome to this episode of Be The Wolf. We're going to talk about following the right path for you when you know what it is and what it takes to actually stay on the path. And sometimes we know there are some hiccups along the way or sometimes we're like, I don't want to do this (laughs) and we try something different, but ultimately Sometimes you just know deep inside what your path is. And I am here today with Matthew Brownstein. He is an author, a teacher. He's written quite a few books. He has a lot of things on his plate. And I'm going to let him tell you about that. Matthew, can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to in the world? Yeah, thanks for having me on. So I run Anahat Education Group that has a lot of different branches. The main one is the Institute of Interpersonal Hypnotherapy. So I've always been into bringing about a spiritually based message. I would probably put myself in the category, although I don't love the title, a spiritual teacher. Yet, kind of how do you make a living with that? So years ago, I realized that hypnotherapy was not only a path that was calling me, yet opening a school to help other people to find this as part of their career path became really valuable and important. So to get people into even some of the deeper teachings I offer, we start out with the hypnotherapy model. And I see that kind of as a funnel to pace people into the things that are even more important than just basic hypnosis, yet tapping into who we truly are. I mean, this all started for me with a spiritual awakening that happened when I was 19 years old. And it was so significant, an experience that showed me our our potential of joy and bliss and love and peace and the sense of guidance and purpose. I just had that happened in instant for me where I realized, wow, there's something so much bigger. And I just dedicated my whole life to helping people to actualize that same experience and more than just an experience, but a lifestyle based on a deeper spiritual experience or awakening, you might say. Awesome. It's interesting because I have quite a few hypnotherapy <laughs> accreditations and I also work with the unconscious mind. I focus on career paths, but ultimately if you go through the whole program with me, you get so connected to who you truly are. Mm. And for some people that takes them down a spiritual path and some people it keeps them, you know, it's whatever framework makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. But what was going on with you before you had that spiritual awakening? 
You know, I would say nothing significant, <laughs> really. <laughs> it came out of the blue. I was in college. I was a freshman, I believe. Uh, I was doing all my basic liberal arts studies. Didn't know what I was going to be when I grew up. Uh, yeah, honestly, nothing special or even worth mentioning. But one night I was lying in bed. I just finished making love with my girlfriend, just to be honest, because that's where it happened. Right. There wasn't anything even special about that experience. But lying there together, just all of a sudden, everything changed. It went from a world that seemed dualistic to a world that was pure oneness. It went from being afraid to feeling just perfect love and realizing there's nothing to fear at all. It was just so peaceful and blissful and connected. And it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. That's why everything before that, to me, was really meaningless and not at all noteworthy. As soon as that happened, there was a reason to live. And I wasn't depressed or like suicidal or anything, but having a real reason to live. Like I wasn't moving away from anything negative, but that gave me something extremely positive and really beyond positive and negative, something very real to move into. I thought that experience would be there for the rest of my life because that just seemed like the underlying fabric of reality. But the experience was gone the next morning. And that really made me start seeking and questioning and asking people, have you ever had an experience of oneness? Do you know what unconditional universal love is? And people are like, no, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody could give me the answer. I started majoring in philosophy, thinking the philosophers knew. They didn't really have a clue. They would just debate the idea of the divine, but nobody was talking about how to tap into it. So eventually meandered over to religion and religious studies in the university and they were talking about that reality and all the different religions but nobody was teaching me how to tap back into it that's when i found the mystical branches of the world's religions and started spiritual practices and then it took about a year uh, after i had the first experience i was able to start tapping in again and again and then when we talked about like purpose and mission i realized that that presence whatever we would call that is a guiding force, mission and purpose and direction and meaning is all connected to that. And then I start realizing that beingness has a voice, if you will, whether it's speaking in English or just intuition or feelings, but it's constantly communicating with us. And that's what started leading me into my background is actually Chinese medicine, because I was like, what do you do with all these religious studies and spiritual experiences? Well, how can I help people with that? And while acupuncture is a beautiful medicine, it wasn't quite what I was looking for. Once I found hypnotherapy, I was actually having a session for myself and that same voice said, you're going to be a hypnotherapist. I said, no, I'm going to be a doctor of oriental medicine. It said, no, you're going to be a hypnotherapist. That was shocking to me because I had invested in two different Chinese medical colleges. I was really on that path, even though I wasn't as passionate about it as I could be, I didn't know what else could be better. But once I discovered the power of the mind, especially in relationship to healing the mind to heal the body, I was hooked. And it allowed me to bring the deeper spirituality that was so important to me into a career. And then, yeah, I haven't looked back ever since. And you know, we talked about like staying in your path, times where maybe I wavered a little bit thinking, oh, maybe there's another income opportunity like stock trading or commodities or real estate or multi-level marketing. But none of that ever worked. It was always yeah. just go back and stay in your path. And yeah. 
So you moved into the acupuncture realm, like mm. you went that direction, trying to somehow connect the dots. What, what was it that made you choose that? Well, in college, while I was studying religion and philosophy, I got into Zen meditation and yogic meditations, Tai Chi, so Taoist, yogic, Buddhist, the deep mystical branches. And the one thing I discovered was this idea of blockages or energy blockages. Everybody was talking about like in Chinese medicine, there's blocks in the flow of qi. In hypnotherapy, Mesmer was saying there's blocks in the flow of the animal magnetism. I'm doing Tai Chi and you're experiencing it. Where does the energy flow? Where does not? And realizing, oh, there's in A Course in Miracles, it says there are blockages to the awareness of love's presence. So simply I had discovered if there's a block to or blockages to this experience of universal love and oneness and peace and guidance, then it's not really about just getting people to tap into that. It's about finding modalities that can help to clear those blocks. And so when I would sit down with a patient, like in the acupuncture clinic, we would put needles in. I'm like, I know this is supposed to relieve blockages, but why are the blockages there? Aren't I just treating symptoms by poking people with needles? Uh, like if their heart is closed, you know, let's say you got a block in your heart chakra, whatever that really means, but you know, if we're acknowledging some reality of energy blocks, even if I were to use an acupuncture needle, somehow open that up, I started realizing it's closed because of fear. Why do we close our hearts, right? Love doesn't close the heart. Love keeps the right. heart open. It's a mental process of closing chakras, of blocking energy meridians, suppressing emotions, locking up the body, tensing up. So once I realized that these blockages are essentially mental and started studying A Course in Miracles more and more, which really says that these blockages are totally mental, that the only thing that need to be healed is the mind. Only the mind is in need of healing. Therefore, I felt like I was doing myself and therefore my clients a disservice by still treating symptoms. In Chinese medicine, they say the lower level physician heals in the body level. The mid-level physician heals on the energy level. The highest level physician heals on the spiritual mental level. I was like, well, how am I healing in the spiritual mental level in Chinese medicine? I didn't really see the depth. And there's a book in Chinese medicine called Rooted in Spirit. And it said, all healing must be rooted in spirit. But with all the deep meditative disciplines I was doing, I never really saw how prescribing herbs, diagnosing, doing all the diagnostic methods of Chinese medicine, while it was deeper and supposedly more, quote, holistic than Western medicine, I didn't feel like it was getting to the spiritual, mental, emotional level. But once I found hypnotherapy, I realized beyond traditional psychotherapy or let's even say psychoanalysis, where they're just analyzing the subconscious. Right. I wanted a way to talk directly to the subconscious, realizing these blockages aren't necessarily held in our conscious awareness, right? We have thoughts that are reflecting what's going on deep down below. But if we don't get down into that deeper inner mind, which is blocking the flow of energy and causing negative behaviors and all those problems, as you know, come from that subconscious space. You can't analyze it. You can't poke needles in it. You can't medicate right. it. You can do all that, but you don't really get to the root cause of the problem. And I guess I'm wired to say, what's the one common denominator? Right? There's right. thousands of diagnoses, but what's the one problem? And once you realize the problem is mind, then 
you can't be in good faith with yourself and others to do anything but treat the mind directly. And again, that's where hypnotherapy just made total sense, even though my conscious mind didn't quite get it. It was just that inner voice saying, you're doing this because something deep inside of me knew there is finally a path that human beings have figured out that can help to liberate people in systematic ways, right? We can take people through a handful of really good hypnotherapy sessions and completely change their lives instead of years of talk therapy or however many acupuncture treatments that are only to, or whatever we do, Reiki or all these different techniques. They're wonderful. Thank God for all of our professionals. Uh, But yeah, I needed to be knowing in my life, I'm getting to the root cause of human suffering or I'm missing the mark. You and I are similar in that way. And it's interesting. You make first level changes, you change your environment, right? That's the one thing like, oh, I'm going to move to a different city and, or I'm going to switch jobs. And that creates some change. It's, it's a little change and it may be a little better. And then you go, then you can create new skills. You can do things like that. And that'll create some other change. And then there's beliefs and values. And if you change those over time, that'll filter down even more. And then you get into your identity, who you are. People are very sometimes attached to what they do for a living or I'm a good girl or whatever it might be. And if you switch those, those filter down. But you say when you get to that spiritual level, that's where the big change happens. And that's it's almost like a top of a triangle. Mm-hmm. And that stuff will really filter down. And in many ways, I totally get that whole body to mind thing. My path started with yoga and it was very helpful. And I had some releases, but in hindsight, now I can see that those big body releases totally coincided with my mind releases. Mm-hmm. And in the years of my healing, the deepest part of my own subconscious healing happened. I was not exercising at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, walking and some basic stuff. But what started to happen is my body started to change shape. My physicality shifted. My shoulders dropped. My chest opened up. My heart expanded. Mm -hmm. All of those things. My spine pulled like inward into my body, but the weight started pulling down into my legs and my physicality felt more grounded. Mm -hmm. And all of that, none of that happened because I was practicing yoga. None of that happened because I was going to acupuncture. I did that for years and years and years, Mm -hmm. but it happened because I was changing my mind. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and maybe some of what you did, like the yoga, the acupuncture helped, but the real shifts that occur when we say like, what is a miracle when you have a miraculous shift? And of course, in miracles, the miracle is mental. And what I love is the miracle is interpersonal. It, you talk about like my sense of identity, but however I define myself is going to define who you are. Right. And if I'm a self and you're a self and we're two different selves, well, maybe there's competition or fear. And right. So I might be guarded or closed. Like my sense of who I think I am absolutely affects my connection with others. So that feeling of separation that we have between others is affecting. We're closing our hearts because we're afraid of people. We're putting our shoulders forward because we're afraid of people. We're living in our heads. But yeah, once you get the deeper sense of who you are, you open to that. And things like yoga and acupuncture and hypnotherapy can help. 
right? But once we're tapping into that spiritual mental level, and you're saying as it cascades down through our being, it's going to affect our physiology, our behaviors, our relationships, everything gets better when we go from top down, right? Or like you said, instead of changing the outside, I talk to people a lot who are trying to make external changes to change the inside, not realizing the outside is a reflection of the inside. Right? So if inside, you know who you truly are and you're living from that space, everything else just tends to harmonize with that. And yeah, it's a lot easier actually, right? To start from the inside, if we just catch on to that, you don't have to try to manipulate the outside world, just change your idea of, you don't really have to change who you truly are. There's nothing wrong with who you truly are, right? But yeah. changing those ideas of self and really asking the question, who am I? Continue, like, who am I? And not accepting those lower level human answers, right? but realizing we're so much greater than those limiting definitions we put upon ourselves. Absolutely, we are so much greater. So now you started, you heard the voice. It's like, you must study hypnotherapy. <laughs> What made you trust the voice? Because a lot of people really, they we have that inner voice. I mean, a lot of times there's so much other noise that we can't quite hear it. But I think if anybody really looks back at their life, they can see those moments where that voice was really clear. And what made you trust that? Yeah, I had heard the voice before, and I was studying with a medical psychic intuitive in my first Chinese medical school as a practitioner outside, and he had me go into a deep meditative state, and he said, we're going to have you talk to your higher self, that's what he called it. He said, ask a question to receive an answer. So the woman I was dating at the time, I said, how can I help her to heal of ulcerative colitis? And the voice came back and said, she's already healed. And I said, no, she's not. She's clearly sick. And the voice said, she's already healed. And then it went away. I've learned it will repeat itself once. So it'll say it twice. And that's it. It won't argue with my ego. But years later, I found out that's the healthiest perspective I could have had. Stop seeing her as sick. See her as already healed. So I started realizing through interactions with this voice, it's always right. Around that same time, I was meditating in the morning and before going to acupuncture school and the voice said you're going to get a speeding ticket today i said no i'm not because you just told me so i'm going to drive carefully it said no you won't be paying attention you'll get a speeding ticket like i got up off the cushion like oh that's ridiculous that sucks <laughs> so the divine just told me i'm going to get a ticket thanks instead of like give me a warning to not get it but sure enough i'm driving and i wasn't paying attention in an instant i look up in the river mirror and there's the lights like get out of here. So those are two of many instances before the voice told me you're going to be a hypnotherapist. And it said it twice. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to be a doctor of rental medicine. It said, nope, you're going to be a hypnotherapist. But what really helped me just that data point of trusting the voice, because it tends to be what's always right. I went to <laughs> my mother at the time. I remember being on the phone with her and saying, you know, I get this feeling like I should go to hypnotherapy school. I thought she was going to say, no, that's crazy. You know, I'm young. Where's the money going to come from? But she said, it sounds like a great profession to fall back upon in case you need it or just an adjunct to your existing career. So other people's voices were confirming it's good. It's right. When I looked into, I said, well, how am I going to have the money for this? She said, well, how much is it? And I told her, she said, I think your grandparents put a rainy day fund away for you. Let me see how much is in that account. It turned out to be the exact amount for a hypnotherapy training at the time. It's like, wow, like the divine is, you know, that voice is telling me, yes, my parents are affirming, yes, the finances are aligning, but then really just listening to my own being, you know, checking out, like, what does it mean to go through hypnotherapy training? And then 
wow, I'm going to make friends. I'm going to have another career path. I'm going to engage with great teachers. I'm going to be able to heal my subconscious mind. I can start exploring past lives and you know all the different realms we can go into. I was hooked. But what I really found was in the Chinese medical clinic, if somebody had, let's say, shoulder pain, we would diagnose them, we would prescribe herbs, perhaps mostly we would stick needles in them. <laughs> uh, hypnotherapy, a classmate of mine had shoulder pain. We regressed her to the root cause of the pain. There was a past memory that was playing over and over. The body was responding to that memory. Once the memory was healed, the pain went away. And I was like, oh, most, well, all psychosomatic illness and all psychosomatic pain by definition comes from the mind. So I just saw there, I can massage that pain, I can put needles in that pain, I could prescribe herbs for that pain, but I'm not treating the root cause of the pain. So yeah, that higher voice clearly knew the path of hypnotherapy was deeper than what I was doing. I just didn't know it yet, but I hope that helps to answer the question of how you can trust that voice. Like once you hear it, yeah, <laughs> even if you argue with it, it'll repeat itself once and then it'll just wait until you realize the truth. Oh, that's interesting. I do that too. My, I call mine either the part of me that knows, sometimes the wise mind, mm -hmm. and occasionally I'll ask it a question and, I'll, and it will give me an answer and I'll ask it again and it will say, I already told you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and then sometimes I'll be like, and you know, we get emotional and in a panic and we're like, oh, do I trust it? Do I not trust it? And mm -hmm. I'll ask again and then it'll just tell me something like really ridiculous because it's basically telling me, I already told you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say this gently and lovingly. It's a kind of strong quote, but um, never argue with an idiot. <laughs> um, but, you, know, like, uh, you know, our egos are insane, right? And spirit is perfectly sane. So the sane mind is not going to argue with an insane mind. Right? So never argue with right. the spirit knows, look, you're in your ego, you're lost and confused. I'm not. And someday you wake up to the truth because truth is always true. Your ego, the illusions are going to drop away eventually. So when you're done making stuff up and you're willing to acknowledge the higher reality of things, but thank God that is there, right? Then, you know, we're not, it's not just chaos and random and meaningless. It's uh, underneath, there's the Tao, there's the harmony, there's the way, there's a flow that... Once I, my, one of my early spiritual teachers, he always talked about surrendering and letting go. And I watched his life just blossom beautifully. And it seems scary to just let go. You know, it's like can be bashed all over the place. And at first when you let go, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's really working. But the more you do to surrender, let go, trust, have faith, you know, let go, let God, however we say it. But once we get the deep idea of surrendering, we realize there's a much bigger force in our silly conscious mind. I mean, how many times has our conscious mind been wrong, right? If you turn to a certain advisor who's continually mistaken, would you ever go back to that advisor more than once? Like if you came to me and asked a question, and I was just totally wrong. You probably wouldn't consult with me ever again. We turn to our wrong conscious mind hundreds of times each day. So you and I are at least helping your audience and reminders for ourselves to realize there is a higher, wiser mind. And it's... Mm -hmm wiser to listen to that than the neurotic ego. Right. So you went down a couple, you explored some other career paths. You tried to like get off the path at some points. Can you tell us a little bit about that part of your journey? And I say this because I think a lot of people 
Well, I know a lot of people are on their quote wrong path. And I say, I, I just want to say to everybody out there, it does, if you're on a, a quote wrong path, it's okay in that process, you are gaining resources, you are gaining skills, you are learning things. So it's always important to not beat yourself up because those paths will show you and teach you things that will eventually help you when you get back on your right path. So when you got distracted from the hypnotherapy path, tell us a little bit about that part of your journey. Yeah, I never really got off that path. I was still seeing clients, but this is my early 20s. You know, now I've turned 50, so I've stayed on the path quite well since. But in my early 20s, maybe yeah, late 20s, I wanted to make more money, honestly. I could only see so many clients per week. And at the time, I was charging like $65 a session. It's not a whole lot. And I was seeing about 20 clients a week. So I could pay my bills, but I realized I'm not going to gain real wealth with just doing this. And I want to be more financially secure. So I tried, yeah, real estate a little bit, commodity trading, multi-level marketing. But honestly, none of those paths lasted for more than a month because I was like, my heart's not in this. I'm only doing this for money. So I just made a renewed commitment at some point to just let me just keep doing what spirit is telling me to do. And now, honestly, I make like 20 to 30 times what I made back then. <laughs> and it was just by staying on the path. So, you know, I, like you said, none of the time was wasted. I learned about investing. I learned about building wealth. I cared about that, but I realized really all we need is the intention, right? My intention was there to make more money that I can make just at an hourly rate. Because I had that intention, I started learning about uh, teaching as 10% of all I earn is mine to keep, right? So it's like, oh, let me just keep saving 10% of my money and then I'll reinvest that in other dharmic income streams. Dharmic meaning harmonious with who I am and my life calling. So let me take, save money and okay, I saved a few thousand dollars. Now what do I do with that? Well, let me publish a book. But the book was aligned with the teachings that I brought to what I do. And then let me publish another book. Let me start making audio products for my clients. And that just kept growing into a holistic healing center. I was renting out rooms to other practitioners. I started a business networking group, but all of it was aligned with my mission, which is essentially on a hot education group. So as long as I kept any income stream within the umbrella of who I am, it's hard to kind of define what is that umbrella, uh, but you know, the corporate name, Anahat Education Group, Anahat is the heart chakra. Um, and what I teach is something called the Anahat Meditation System. So that's just so core to me. And again, I can't like unpack all that here in the short interview, but generally speaking, to do what's dharmic and aligned with that mission absolutely provided the money that I was looking for. It was only when I tried to do things that were just completely someone else's path. Like the Bhagavad Gita in Hinduism says, it's better to do your dharma poorly than someone else's dharma well. I was just trying to do <laughs> someone else's dharma. I'm not a commodity trader. My mind isn't even wired for that. And I don't really care about the money as much as I care about helping people. And what I really found was if you prioritize helping others, the money just always follows. So as soon as I got that shift, it really wasn't even about, oh, I got to make more money. It was just, how can I get the message out there more? How can I help more people? With those, getting the clarity of those intentions led to more abundance, but yeah, it wasn't by seeking the money. It was just finding ways to be of service in ever deeper, more meaningful ways. 
Yeah, and I think that's the big key there for anybody listening, and I know in my own path, is that thing that's aligned with what is true and right for you. That's a big be the wolf quality. It's not always about the money. It's not always about what specifically you are doing, but what is really aligned with what is true and right for you, with who you are. I, I know my my LLC is called Be the Wolf, but my coaching company is Elevate, and I'm in the process of writing books and all of those things. But they're all, as you say, aligned with the higher, bigger umbrella, which is really helping people fully and truly connect to who they truly are and being able to create lives that really work for them from that place. And so you dabbled a little bit, you picked up some learnings. And when did you have a moment during that time where you had maybe that aha or the voice tell you that it's going to be okay, that you're going to, because I think that's such a big thing is like, everyone's like, well, I don't know if it's going to be okay. How do I really lean into trusting this? Is there a moment that you, anything that you can say about learn, leaning into trusting that it's going to be okay, that you will eventually have more financial income or whatnot? You know, I'd like to say yes to that. I really would. But the honest answer in my heart is no. The voice has never said you're going to be okay. Uh, I was saying every day I have the thought, is the business going to survive? I don't think that voice offers that level of comfort. That's where things like trust and faith come in, right? That if even if some being like Buddha stood before me and said, hey, all the money will be there. I mean, how do I know? They say in Zen, if you meet the Buddha on the road, kill him. <laughs> Which is to say, outside of you speaking to you isn't necessarily the highest, wisest voice anyway. Like I could always question, well, maybe that voice isn't true and accurate. So it's not necessarily that it's ever said, you're gonna be okay. It's more learning through trust and faith that there really is only one true right path. Uh, it's like going down the railroad tracks and it's not like there's a sign saying, if you keep following these tracks, you're gonna be okay. Honestly, I just don't think that security is given to us in that way, but the tracks know where they're going, like all rivers lead to the ocean. So I think it's more as having trust and faith that this river that I'm on, this boat that I'm in, as I lift out my paddles out of the water and just trust the flow of the ocean, the, the river, it's going to lead me to the ocean. The train tracks are gonna lead me to the destination. It's just realizing getting off the tracks would be really silly. Getting out of the boat would be really silly. But I don't see any signposts telling me you're gonna be okay, right? There's always in A Course in Miracles, it says if you're having the human experience, you will suffer from fear and doubt. Right? So I'd like to say yes <laughs> to you, but really I think we need to know how to deal with the fear and doubt in healthy ways and know how to stay on the path trusting that it's just the best choice. Right? Like imagine, think about all the Tibetan Buddhists who are up there meditating up in the in Tibet and then the Chinese come and you know, and so nobody told them, hey, you're gonna be okay, right? Jews are practicing Judaism, nobody expected the Germans to come and do this. So it's not like the divine is saying, you're not going to have difficulties. You're not going to have challenges. I think the deeper spiritual teachings teach us how to deal with suffering well, how to move through painful situations, how to handle challenges. Like I like the model, 
where if you have a challenge that comes to you, say, wow, thank you, welcome. I've been preparing for you my whole life. <laughs> it's not that spirituality tells us you're not going to be like, don't worry, you never have to be afraid. You're going to fear. It doesn't say you're never going to doubt. You're going to doubt. It doesn't say, um, yeah, don't worry, the money will always be there. In fact, the Buddhist teachings are all about impermanence. You might have money, but next thing you know, you don't have money. And the deep peace and the security we're looking for doesn't come from knowing. We'll always have it the way we want it to be. So yeah, I don't there's that type of security gifts. Alan Watts wrote the book, The Wisdom of Insecurity. <laughs> I think there's more wisdom in that than thinking some voice will tell us you're always going to be okay. You'll never have a challenge. So I wish it was the opposite, but it doesn't appear to be so. Well, I know in my own experience, life without challenge gets kind of boring for one. <laughs> I know that one of the things that the mind needs to be happy is it needs a problem to solve. Hmm. And so sometimes we don't necessarily always want these crazy big problems, but when you stay on the path, on your path, the problems, maybe they're not always fun, but there is this motivation that really makes it worth it to step into the unknown. And, and I know when we spoke before, one of the things that you said, when you saw a really big path in front of you, and it, it was huge. But one thing that you realized along the way is that you had to continue to step in out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And so stepping out of your comfort zone, I think is the scariest thing for most people, right? It's leaning into the unknown. Once you heal some of those internal like memories that it's like, I don't want this thing to happen again. Once you have flow around that and you heal that, then, you know, no matter how much you heal, there's always going to be that fear of stepping into the unknown, stepping out of the comfort zone. So what can you share with us about stepping out of the comfort zone and, and why is that important to actually stay on your right path? You know, I like the definition of courage as defined as courage is the ability to feel fear, but to act anyway. But why would we want to have courage to push that comfort zone? So I like the model that you have your comfort zone is the first circle, you have your uncomfortable zone is the next circle, and then beyond that is the panic zone. And and really, like you talk about my vision, it is big, but I think everybody's vision is big in the sense that our ego doesn't have a very high self-esteem version of us, right? So the self-esteem circle is really what the comfort zone is. I, I'm not good enough. I don't amount to anything. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not capable. When spirit is pushing us to do something bigger, that limited ego self-esteem can contain that. So to have the courage to step outside of your own limitations, really that challenge isn't saying like, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be easy. It's saying you've limited yourself, right? Spirit never limited you that way. Your higher, wiser mind totally believes in you. You don't believe in you. So if we don't push to where spirit's guiding us, then we're always staying in that comfort zone. And it's not like we're going to be safe there. Right by living in limitation and lack and fear and doubt, to not push towards the light, right? To think if I just stay in my little dark cave, I'll be safe. 
Not really, right? The, my experience is the greatest safety is to actually take the leap. Again, stay on the tracks. Go where the boat is going, even if it looks like, wow, I, I'm not worthy of that ocean. I'm not worthy of that. I can't handle that. Realize you're wrong. <laughs> you can handle it. You are worthy of it. You're deserving of it. So yeah, it's a willingness to let go of the false self and to keep moving where spirits are guiding us with the courage to feel the fear, but to act anyway, knowing that there is something much greater than the limited lower self-esteem ego. So do you have any tips about letting go of the false self and stepping through those fears? Sure. The key teaching I would offer is discernment, is learning when is it ego and when is it spirit and realizing ego is insane. <laughs> spirit knows what it's talking about. Uh, ego causes suffering. Spirit doesn't. Ego causes pain. Spirit doesn't. Ego is fear-based. Spirit is love-based. Once you realize that there's only two choices, basically fear and love, then you just realize love is always or spirit or harmony or the Tao or your purpose and your passion are always the logical sane choice but we have to be able to discern that first i like to give the example imagine walking into a movie theater down the aisle and all the cushions on the left have razors and needles and broken glass and the cushions on the right are beautiful plush or whatever what choice would you make so when we're condition towards negativity, towards our ego, towards fear, we actually think there's a choice right, that I can choose to go because you want to have free will. I want to be able to do what I want to do. You can sit on the cushions on the left if you want, but not when you're sane, right? So when we meditate, we get clear. The more you meditate, the more clear you get. The more sane you become, the more you return to love, the more you return to peace. So the model is just trust your joy and follow your bliss. But you have to discern when is it blissful and joyful? When is it based on love? When is it based on divine guidance? And I don't want to say it's just when is it comfortable, because it's not always comfortable, right, to step out of your comfort right. zone. However, love, peace, joy, bliss, oneness, and harmony always seem like better choices. So, yeah, it's just really the, the trust that there is another way besides the suffering of the ego, and just to discern, oh, that's ego, and just don't go there. <laughs> just in A Course in Miracles, it says of the advanced teacher of God, at some point you realize, keep what you like, let go of what you don't, how simple the obvious. <laughs> it's really simple and obvious once you're clear enough to realize I'm either suffering or not. I'm either in fear, or I'm in love. Just always choose. Always choose. Yeah. Love. Mm -hmm. So one thing I always tell people, tell my clients and whatnot, when you're making, because not everybody's so clear, <laughs> not everybody can actually discern that. So mm -hmm. I imagine people to think of the outcome that whatever the choice is going to create. And does that outcome feel more expansive than where they are now? Or does it feel like it could feel more expansive, but maybe there's a whole bunch of other worries that fall on top of it. So that's actually probably too big of a step. <laughs> And so it's about stepping into something that feels that the outcome is going to be more expansive than where you are now. And that might mean stepping through a little narrow thing. So it feels contractive to get to the other side, but it leads to something that's more expansive than where mm -hmm. you are now. So it's a kind of a simple way. That being said, 
Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap everything up here? I can say with what you said as you were talking, I was thinking about the story of the well frog and the ocean frog. That if you're in this little well, you say, well, I've got water, I've got light, I've got space to move. But when the ocean frog comes over and sees you down there, like, what are you doing? Uh, well, I've got water. No, there's an ocean. Well, um, I've got some light. No, there's like the whole sun. So I love your model of expansion is realize if somebody's offering a much bigger vision, whether that's your own inner voice, spirit, other people that you realize, oh, they're on a different path. Uh, I love that model of just choosing that. So yeah, if you hear a message between the well frog, which is the ego, and the ocean frog, which are it, yeah, choose spirit. So yeah, my closing words when I'm on podcasts is usually just stay on the path. It's what my first philosophy teacher told me. When I said, thank you, you've changed my life so much. You've opened my mind to so many things. His only words, just four words to me, stay on the path. And that's what we we're talking about, right? Just stay in the railroad check, stay in that boat in the river that's going to the ocean, but go to the ocean. Yeah, and your model of going to where it's more expansive definitely seems to be the right direction. So yeah, thank you for yeah. the chance for those closing words. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so why don't you tell everybody how they can get in touch with you, how they can start on their own path of expansion or becoming the ocean frog? Sure. So instituteofhypnotherapy.com is our main website. We offer hypnotherapy training. The next one starts January 25th. Uh, and if somebody misses that, the next one is April 25th. So we have start dates four times a year. So yeah, there's the hypnotherapy training. I also have a website called onlinemonastery.com where I offer the Anahat meditation system completely free with 60 plus hours, 100 when you're doing the practices. So, you know, it's at least 100 hours of training, um, offering a free certification as a meditation teacher. So that's onlinemonastery.com. So this is the deeper stuff that I offer. And like I said, when we started, the hypnotherapy is like a way to pace people into some of these deeper teachings. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And for those of you who are looking to find a career that you love, that is on the right path for you, if you are ready to actually take a step, you can reach out to me. We can have a call and see if what I have to offer is a good fit for you. And you can do that at elevatebookacall.com. And those of you who are not driving, take a moment now and open up your browser. And if you're looking for instituteofhypnotherapy.com, type that in now. What's the other one? Onlinemonastery.com. Onlinemonastery.com. Or if you want to book a call with me, type in elevatebookacall.com. I know sometimes we hear things and we get really excited about it and then we forget. So make that move to go ahead and do that now. Matthew, thank you for your insight, your spirit, and for staying on your right path. Hmm. I know how important what you're bringing to the world is. It's similar to my path where where our paths are in alignment i believe <laughs> mm. and connecting to each individual person that is the right fit for us and i'm very grateful for what you're bringing to the world so thank you so much for being here with me today thank you and right back at you for doing such good work yourself awesome 
All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we will see you next time on Be the Wolf. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.